if inflation was a byproduct of of this spending and of, of the low rate environment that, that the Fed does have the tools, you know, by way of interest rates to effectively manage that risk. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The Fed statement on interest rates may have caused a stir, but it's perhaps a bit too hasty to change course just yet. For advisors watching stock market reactions, our experts recommend calm and caution. Coming up, we have Chris Heeks, Matt Montemiro, and Mark Rays as they unpack the near-term effects of inflation and offer valuable solutions to protect and enhance your client portfolios. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF call, Weekly Insights with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Ray, head of product for BMO Game Canada, covering ETFs and funds. Our experts today are Chris Heeks and Matt Montemiro, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Chris focuses on equity and derivative solutions, uh, while Matt focuses on fixed income ETFs. There's certainly been some sideways market news this week. Uh, Tech stocks in particular have been a bit spooked, giving back some gains as markets react to Yellen's comments regarding rising rates. And then I see already this morning there's an attempt to uh, backtrack uh, on those comments. Can you provide your views on this market activity and update your outlook on tech stocks? Uh, Let's use NASDAQ, whether ZNQ or ZQQ ETFs, but as well maybe touch on the innovation ETFs. Thanks. For sure. Thanks, Mark. So, you know, I think rising rates and inflation have been on investors' minds for for a few months now. You know, the big picture is there's a lot of stimulus continuing to happen. And, you know, the U.S. Fed, amongst many other central banks, you know, has signaled that they've got the willingness to let inflation potentially run a bit hot they're not going to pour cold water on a recovery um, that's really just kind of taking shape as we speak. So, you know, obviously I think this has been good for equities overall and we've, you know, identified this has been one key factor that's allowed, you know, the equity market to recover so quickly from the sell-off uh, last spring. Um, you know, when you look at the U S tenure this year, certainly, you know, it's, it's almost uh, doubled this year to 1.6%. You know, the, 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 the interesting um, aspect regarding technology is, you know, technology is certainly more of a growth exposure. So when you think about growth exposures and growth companies, you know, their expected cash flows tend to be further out in the future. So when you discount that back at a higher um, interest rate, you know, that, re- that reduces the present value of those cash flows. So that's kind of been the impact to the technology sector. Um, that has concerned investors a little bit. It's, you know, I think it's, you know, by no means, you know, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's that spooky. You know, NASDAQ is still up 5% this year as measured by our ZQQ, the hedged NASDAQ. Uh, the S&P is up 11%. You know, I think when you look at technology, uh, we're coming off back-to-back 
you know, yearly returns on technology. Um, so in, tw- in 2019 and 2020, um, you know, which includes obviously COVID. So, um, you know, they've had very strong returns. You know, we talked about on the podcast, we're seeing right now more of a cyclical value rally. You know, some exposures that underperformed last year or the last couple of years are doing a little bit better this year. Um, so financials, energy, industrials, discretionary, those kind of classical cyclical sectors, uh, materials as well, um, you know, doing very well. Um, so, you know, in terms of the outlook for tech, you know, I don't, you know, I think we're, we're still quite bullish on technology and I think it's hard not to be just with, you know, the amount of technology that's, you know, um, so important to, you know, our daily lives, online banking, everything, um, potentially driverless cars at some point in the future. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're quite bullish. Um, you know, I think it's natural for it to consolidate. You know, I do think investors need to have technology on their portfolios. And, you know, I'd be pretty comfortable with the NASDAQ overall. You know, when you look at the innovation side of technology, you know, I look at our innovation ETFs like the ZINN and the associated sub-theme innovations. You know, I look at those as higher beta applications of tech. So, you know, kind of on your risk spectrum, you've got the S&P, you go up a notch, you go to NASDAQ, and then you go up another notch, I think, into those innovation um, exposures, you know, they're even more growth focused than the NASDAQ, you know, their, their cash flows are even further out into the future, you know, so it is, a, it is a, um, you know, riskier exposure. So it's important for investors to keep that in mind, but, you know, we do believe with, you know, the innovation exposure, again, these are long-term mega trends, um, you know, that we feel pretty uh, confident, you know, that, the innovation trends are going to play out over the long period of time. So that higher rate of risk gets compensated with the potential for higher returns as well. So, you know, I think quite, quite, you know, bullish on technology on a long-term basis overall. And we've seen these kind of sporadic um, consolidations, you know, every six months or so investors tend to get worried about tech, but, you know, it finds a way to recover and move forward. And, you know, they're, they're, they're an overweight in our quality, you know, ETFs for a good reason. You know, they're the highest, some of the highest quality companies in the world. So, um, you know, continue to think it's a, a good exposure and one that investors need to need to continue to have exposure to. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And again, seeing those comments attempt to be uh, stepping back uh, overnight. So we'll see, we'll see how markets respond to that today. Matt, I'll come your way. Uh, as a continuation of this conversation, inflation risks remain a concern, of course, with fixed income. So where do you suggest adding to portfolios in order to buffer against any potential inflation? Thanks. Yeah, so Secretary Yellen certainly startled uh, markets yesterday with her comments around the economy overheating and the potential need for the Fed to you know, raise rates to ward off, you know, these inflationary fears. Uh, you know, as you did mention, she did quickly uh, clarify uh, these these remarks afterwards. And, you know, she really reiterated that she was not predicting uh, inflation. However, was stating that, you know, if inflation was a byproduct of of this spending and of, of the low rate environment, that, that the Fed does have the tools, you know, by way of interest rates, to effectively manage that risk. So, you know, as you say, you know, we'll see what happens with markets today, but it, it was, uh, uh, I, I think it was, it was a little bit of, of Yellen stating the obvious and then kind of, 
you know, realizing that, you know, maybe she, she, she shouldn't have let the cat out of the bag. But, you know, I think when you look at the market and, and what, what the market's telling us about inflation, you know, inflation break-evens right now are anticipating five-year inflation of about 2.67%. Uh, if you look at CPI from March, you know, that came in at about 2.6%, which is a pretty steep increase from the 1.4% that we saw to end December. So, you know, CPI is a, is a backward-looking measure. You know, inflation break-evens, the, the market anticipation, not the forward-looking measure. Both of those indicate that, you know, inflation fears are, are, are real and, and something that needs to be uh, considered. So I do think it is important to look and, and protect your portfolio from these risks. And, you know, I think I, I don't I, I ask myself, you know, how, how much of an issue is this inflation risk going to be? I, I think right now we're seeing inflation in the market, and it's, it's how much can you protect yourself from some of that downside, especially on your fixed income portion of your portfolio. You know, and I think given the move that we've seen in interest rates this year with, with the, the curve steepening as it has, I think overall duration reduction on a portfolio level is, is prudent. So when I would look at fixed income options right now, I would be wanting to protect myself from some of these inflation risks, as well as reducing some of my duration exposure, um, you know, in case of that, that further steepening and rising rates. So something like Z-TIP, which provides uh, exposure to U.S. TIPs, one to five year, uh, will protect your, yourself uh, from these inflation risks, but also shorten your, your overall duration. That, that fund has a duration of 2.5 years. So, you know, in terms of the two main risks that we see in the market, I think ZTIP is a perfect complement to a core fixed income strategy as it, as it does shorten that duration, reducing your interest rate risk, while also protecting yourself uh, from some inflation fears that, that seem to be coming out and uh, um, uh, being realized by the market uh, on a day-to-day basis. You know, I would look at an allocation of, you know, maybe 5 or 10% of your fixed income allocation as prudent to, to help ward off some of these concerns. You know, but that being said, I do think that the reality of, of rising rates and increasing inflation is generally, you know, a, a challenge for fixed income investors. It's, it's going to be a drag on fixed income returns as a whole. So, you know, I also like to look at your entire portfolio context and look if there's other ways that you can protect against some of these inflation fears. So, you know, most investors are not going to go 100% inflation protected tips in their portfolio. So if you can uh, use other segments of your portfolio, if that's the equity sleeve or the equity allocation, to also protect against inflation, that could be uh, a way that you, you play this market as well. So, you know, two equity options that I, I, I think would help uh, fight inflation and also would complement your overall fixed income um, strategy would, would be to look at allocating, you know, let's say 10 to 15% of your equity sleeve uh, in, in something like ZGD. So our global equal weight gold ETF. So, you know, gold is generally driven by inflation expectations. So although it's been muted uh, of late, um, you know, generally if, if, if we are seeing inflation in the market, you should expect that ZGD to see some upward appreciation. So, you know, although it does add volatility versus, you know, an allocation to ZTIP, I 
it does also provide that upside if inflation fears do come to fruition. So that's one way to play it. And then the second would be to look at ZGI, so Global Infrastructure ETF, investing you know, as, as an alternative in hard assets, which generally hold their value during periods of inflation. So, you know, I think this is just another way to, to look at it from a total portfolio perspective where, you know, inflation is not just a, a negative drag on your fixed income portion, but it, it's a drag on your overall return. So if you can look for, for non-traditional ways to fight that, uh, that, uh, those inflation fears, I think adding something like ZTIP and then on the equity sleeve, adding something like ZGD and ZGI would be very prudent right now to, to kind of help you navigate and, and ward off some inflation fears that we're, we're seeing being realized in the market. And, you know, then look at over the next six to 12 months to see how those inflation fears have come to fruition and then allocate accordingly. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. And as well, touching on the equity side, I think it's, of course, good to be considering your whole portfolio when you look at uh, buffering for inflation. Another uh, ETF which has been catching the eye of advisors uh, has been our base metals ETFs at MT. Interesting that at the same time that gold equities with ZGD remains, I'll call it stubbornly flat, uh, ZMT continues to push higher. So based on that, I'll assume it's not inflation fears pushing it higher, but what is driving base metals uh, right now? Is it... uh, concerns on supply chains, uh, rising costs, you know, your, your thoughts on what's differentiating uh, base metals in this market. Thanks. And thanks, Mark. I think all those things are, are factors. And just to build on Matt's point, you know, some sectors that we do see outperforming in rising rate environments, you know, you do tend to be those more cyclically oriented factors um, or sectors, I should say, like base metals and energy. Um, as you note, the price returns on these exposures have been quite healthy this year you know your energy prices up kind of in the 30 percent range you've got base metals up in the 20 percent range you know aluminum copper copper is almost 30 percent you know zmt's got a as a base metal etf has a lot of exposure to copper in particular and that, that that's been a big driver um you know another side point is copper is a major component of electronic uh or electric cars as well um something another another side um, catalyst for copper. Um, but, you know, I think, I think overall investors are looking at economic reopening. Um, there's a demand side story. Um, there's potentially a supply side story as well. You know, there's been a lot of talk about underinvestment in the commodity complex overall over the last, you know, few years. Um, you know, if you listen to the real bulls, they, they might even be saying we're in a commodity super cycle kind of right now. I think it's, that might be, that might be a little extreme, um, but but I think the wind is is definitely at their back. And you know, to continue on Matt's point on ways in which you could look at a total portfolio pr- approach to benefit from inflation. You know, materials like a ZMT as a small position might make sense. You know, and then there's other ways to do it as well. You know, value side topic, but value as a factor is also one that we you know expect to do well in this type of environment from the equity side with rising rates and and um, good overall backdrop for equities uh, but circling back to uh, base metals i think the momentum is there you know we know that momentum is a powerful factor in, in equity investing um, it's come a long way so zmt is up about 20 percent year to date it's up about 100 percent on a one-year basis um you know i still wouldn't i wouldn't bet against it 
you know, and I think for a higher risk tolerance investor, it's something that's potentially quite, you know, interesting. And again, if you have a lower uh, risk tolerance, there's probably ways to lean into it um, to get exposure to that cyclical rally, you know, in different ways, whether it's with a value ETF or a dividend-based ETF even, um, can potentially lean into some of these uh, tailwinds. And, um, and, 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 you know, just to, just to finish, maybe just, just a quick point on gold, you know, I think, you know, I continue to think that it's, you know, it, it is beneficial to have a small gold allocation. You know, I think what's happening right now is there's some factors that are, that are positive for gold, you know, inflation being one for sure. Um, central bank monetary expansion, you know, all the banks are, you know, modern monetary theory, expanding their balance sheets substantially. You know, these should be bullish for gold. I think the stubbornness comes from, you know, that you mentioned, Mark, the stubbornness comes from, you know, investors who are just a little more focused on this kind of risk on equity recovery trade and, and, and gravitating to those exposures. Um, and, you know, gold has been a little bit pushed aside from that point of view. You know, I think from an from a total portfolio approach, a lot of times you get that benefit from gold is when equities are a bit out of favor and gold can give you that that um, that hedge versus equities there. So, you know, that's something to think about. But, you know, I do see the the gold price, you know, looks like it's kind of consolidating around current levels, building a base and, you know, still think having a little bit of gold in your portfolios as well. So that's kind of the commodity side of things from how we see it. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETS podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to tune into our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO Games product suite. Check out episode 69 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at fixed income and equity solutions to hedge against inflation from U.S. tips and real return bonds to base metals and oil. Just one more for me before we go to the, to the questions. Uh, looking at flows, just got the month-end flows in for April. There's been a significant rotation towards Canadian equity exposures over the past month. So what is driving this activity for advisors? Is it just cyclical? Is it energy? What's, what's your outlook for ZCN compared to the U.S. market? Thanks. Yeah, well, for, for one, I think it's been very nice to see as a Canadian, you know, the U.S. market, I think, has been the market of choice for most investors, um, you know, advisors, institutions, retail investors uh, for quite quite a while and for good reason. You know, and obviously, there's still a very, very strong economy. Um, and perhaps those comments from Yellen. But, you know, ZCN in Canada, you know, is coming certainly back into focus. You know, as we talk about economic reopening trades, I think. Canada offers exposure to that reopening trade. You know, as you mentioned, Canada has, um, you know, exposure to cyclical uh, sectors like on the resource side, as well as industrials and financials. Um, it offers a reopening just, just in general. It's, you know, it's a, um, you know, whereas U.S. is kind of more of a high quality market, Canada's, like, like we said, a little more cyclical. You know, I think one thing investors, and I'm going to credit some work done by Scotia Capital and their and macro strategist, uh, Hugo St. Marie, but, you know, and, and National Bank has also been making this call, but relative valuation of Canada is it's very attractive. So if you look at the, the price to earnings, um, Canada versus the U.S., um, you know, it's really blown out to a wide 
spread, whereas, you know, we haven't seen these levels going back to the, you have to go back to the kind of 2001 IT bubble to see that. So there's, there's a great valuation story. You know, I think Canada has the sectors that are in favor right now. Investors like that. There's some good momentum and earnings in Canada. You know, it's continued to be st- uh, supported by monetary and fiscal stimulus, all positive factors. And, and, you know, Canada has that exposure to global growth. And, you know, certainly the commodity backdrop has been beneficial. So, um, you know, there's a lot of factors. And then maybe the last one is I think I do think flows beget flows. And, you know, we, I can just say, you know, you know, as an ad hoc comment that we're getting more, con- we're having more conversations with international investors about Canada. And, you know, the more that that interest level increases, the more that flows happen, I think the more, you know, um, you know, can com- become uh, self-fulfilling almost in some sense. So it's been very nice to see, look at the returns. Canada's up 11% this year, right on pace with ZUE, which is our um, S&P 500 hedged, you know, on a Canadian dollar basis, the Canadian dollar we can mention is doing quite well. So it's been, been good to be hedged both in the U.S. and versus, you know, EFI currencies. So Canadian dollar is strong. Um, so, it's, so it's good to see interest there. So, you know, for investors who have been perhaps underweight Canada might be a time to think about, you know, reallocating and balancing that out. All right. Thanks for those comments, Chris. Lots of good reasons to be looking at Canada right now. And certainly the flows of late have reflected it. Uh, I know a lot of people like to look at that as an indicator of, of where the where the money's flowing and, and where to take advantage of that. So at this point, I would like to check if there are questions on the line for Chris and Matt. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, my question is, U.S. dividends are moving up with strength. Uh, ZUD has now recovered fully since the correction that we had. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the reasons behind this continued strength. Thank you. Thanks for the question. You know, I think um, in terms of the factors that are working, you know, and and it really shifted back in November, um, it's been more that value-oriented strategies that have been doing well. Um, The the economic reopening trade really, you know, my mind started with those positive vaccine announcements by Pfizer back in the first week of November. And that's really, you know, that kind of snowballed in a positive way. And, you know, here we are now, the U.S. is you know, getting very good progress. Canada's making progress on the vaccine rollout, and that really kicked off the reopening trade. And in terms of what has been outperforming, it's been, so like I said, value and, and dividends have that strong connection to value. Um, you know, companies with higher dividend yields um, have lower prices, all things being equal. So, you know, if your dividend stays, stays solid um, and the price goes down, then you have a higher dividend yield. And, and you would also have a higher value, better value exposure. So there's a natural connection between value and dividends, and they've both been benefiting. You know, some of the sectors within the U.S. dividend, excuse me, in particular, excuse me, in particular, and we, you know, we talked about it in Canada's financials. Financials have been, you know, a powerhouse, and U.S. banks have been um, leading that charge, both north of the border and south of the border. Um, but in general, a little more of a cyclical tilt within a dividend portfolio, with that higher value um, has been a strong um, tailwind for the strategy. So I think that's what you're seeing, um, seeing dividends kind of adding value to start the year over the last call it, three to six months. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, so as for the new variants of COVID has impacted the emerging markets, 
uh, we've seen that the ZEM initially traded down and then sideways. I uh, just wanted to see what were your thoughts uh, going forward on the emerging market. Thanks. You know, emerging markets, I'd kind of put it in the category like we were talking about those innovation ETFs um, off the top. You know, innovation ETFs being a mega trend, you know, that we believe will play out over the long term. You know, I think it's very much where I would start with emerging markets is the mega trend. You know, there's been a, a huge shift in emerging markets, um, rise of the middle class, population expansion. You know, it hasn't really been reflected into the equity market the way it has, you know, in, in the developed countries. So that's, you know, the jet there. I think there's a lot of room to grow in emerging market equities over the long term. Um, higher GDP growth rates, higher population growth. You know, those are going to be key demographic factors that are going to that are going to help emerging markets over the long term. I think one thing you've seen, you know, kind of over the past six months is, you know, emerging markets actually look a lot more, a lot more like the S&P 500 now. You know, the one sector that that wouldn't be the case is healthcare, which which as you mentioned, are causing some problems in certain countries right now in the emerging, like India most notably. Um, but on the other hand, you know, technology has been playing a huge role in emerging markets, um, and there are some major technology players held in the index at some of the higher weights, Tencent, Baidu, um, amongst others. So, you know, some of that tech weakness, I think that's played into emerging markets a little bit over the past uh, couple months. Um, but, um, you know, overall, I, I think we're quite bullish on the exposure. And if you look at, you know, the countries underlying emerging markets and China's almost half of the exposure, you know, um, you know, I like to focus on diversification. And, you know, China's a significant portion of the global economy. To me, if you're investing in equities and you want to be diversified, I think you have to have some exposure to China. And, you know, ZEM gives you that tool where you can get that, you know, liquid, you know, it's a, it's a big fund, it's a well-performing fund, and you can get that exposure to China, you know, as well as India, which is also another powerhouse, we think, going forward, um, despite their troubles in the short term right now. So, you know, I, I, I am very um, constructive on emerging markets. I think from a portfolio construction point of view, I think, you know, if you're investing in equities, like I said, there's, there's, there, are, I think there has to be a level of emerging markets that makes sense for your portfolio to be well diversified. So uh, yeah, quite constructive overall. Um, and, and think, you know, like, you know, all markets, you know, every country's having their own kind of, um, you know, story with regards to COVID and the recovery. But, uh, you know, we do think globally we're, you know, on the right track and, and emerging markets will be no exception. Good morning, uh, gentlemen. Just wanted to ask here, um, what we've seen in bonds over the last six months, it really had a rough go. And so looking at your lineup, uh, what would an investor turn for income, whether it be equity and bonds right now, especially given rising inflation expectations? Uh, you, you alluded to that earlier. Uh, and the threat of weight hikes by the Bank of Canada as, you know, as things get back to normal. I can start on the fixed income side of that question in terms of income. Um, you know, I think when, when I'm when I'm looking at uh, you know overall in the portfolio, we're still at a uh, generally lower rates historically. So I think a lot of investors would have uh, you know income needs that that are probably not being met uh, or income thresholds that are probably not being met in in their portfolios. So I think one of the one of the challenges here is is how do you avoid that kind of chase for yield and 
and reducing uh, your or, or yeah, reducing your overall credit quality to, to chase that that yield threshold. So, you know, for me, I look at something like high yield, which has done extremely well um, over the last year. And I see valuations at, at near historic tights and, and, and I do see some downside risk there. So, you know, for me, I, I would look at something uh, that that's, uh, targets a little bit higher quality, but still a higher yielding segment of, of the universe. So I would look at ZBBB in Canada uh, as, as a nice sweet spot. Canadian rates haven't, or Canadian credit spreads, excuse me, have not tightened as much as we've seen in the U.S., uh, and, and I do think that this is a nice sweet spot for the current market as you're still getting investment grade credit, but you are getting that additional yield premium over uh, more quality, uh, higher quality uh, names. So, you know, I look at a lot of investors asking about high yield, should they enter? You know, I think it has been a great run. I think it still has a little bit of legs, but I think we're getting on the point where we are at near historic types. And you could see some widening and some underperformance in high yield. So I would look uh, in terms of finding income in investment grade credit, looking at something like ZBBB to complement my my portfolio to try to get some of those higher uh, yield thresholds in the portfolio. And uh, since Matt left the door open for me to comment on the equity side, maybe I'll just throw in, you know, I think maybe a theme of today's call is looking at things on a total portfolio perspective. And, um, you know, another obviously big segment of our lineup is cover calls and premium yield put selling strategies. Um, so, you know, yet more tools to address income needs in your portfolio. Um, you know, I think looking at a to- total portfolio approach is, is the way to go. And, you know, I, I wouldn't suggest to replace fixed income with equity-based exposure. You know, you have to be careful, but I think, you know, done, done well. And, you know, always happy to, happy to bounce ideas. Um, with anyone who wants to uh, to call and have a chat with us, um, you know, I think we've got some innovative solutions that can help you address some of those income needs and, and keep you well diversified. I think we'll wrap it up here. So I want to thank everyone for listening in today. We appreciate your time. And of course, thanks for asking those questions. As well, thanks go out to both Chris and Matt. Really appreciate your insights today. Lots of good points that we can take back to our own day-to-day activities. So with that, just want to wish everyone a great day. And thanks once again for joining. Thank you to Chris Heeks, Matt Montemuro, and Mark Grays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about various strategies to prepare for interest rate volatility, from the BMO Short-Term U.S. Tips Index, ticker ZTIP, to the BMO Government Bond Index ETF, ticker ZGB. Our experts also pointed to base metals, ticker ZMT, as an interesting way to capture reopening economy gains, while the BMO S&P TSX Capped Composite Index ETF, ticker ZCN, delivers on Canada's improving economic outlook. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. 
Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.